0: It's so funny, we've gone through just what's felt like weeks. I've been sheltering in place in Sacramento, and it feels like it's been weeks of just this weird cloudy weather, and then maybe a little bit of rain here and there, and kind of cold in the mornings, and not even that warm during the day. And all of a sudden, as Sacramento is wont to do, it's warm. It's warm. I'm going to need to move to a much lighter weight bed covering as we have started to get warm. But that's good. The thing that's bad about it is uh, how do we not want to go outside and play? I mean, we can go outside. I'm ve- We're very, very lucky we can go outside. But holy smokes, talk about spring fever. It really hits when the weather starts to get warm and uh, time to plant some plants. And we're going to try to get some tomatoes going. That's one of my favorite, favorite things to plant. Okay, so in our last episode, we started to get into this prelim that was going on with Joe Alsip. And we saw him get get his arraignment pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed. And he was facing financial consequences from needing these lawyers. And so we now are, the last article was from um, December 11th, when we found out that the defendant was seeking a new lawyer. And so now we have December 15th, where here's what the headline is. Again, Greg Zoria covering all of this. Public defender to handle defense and Smith killings. Oh, Hmm, feels like I just gave a big speech about how D'Angelo always got away with everything and has a public defender. Well, turns out that's what's going to have to happen. That's what had to happen here for um, Mr. Alsip as well. A Ventura developer who, and this is December 15th, guys, a Ventura developer who was charged with double homicide was declared an indigent Monday and the public defender will represent him even though he shares ownership and companies with property in Ventura and elsewhere. But in a rare move, municipal court judge Art Gutierrez also required that a lien be placed against all that property that the defendant, Joe Elsip Jr., has an interest in. Ooh, this is so interesting to me. Okay, we're talking about dollars and cents. Look at this, in a rare move. Why is it rare? Why don't we do this more often when somebody actually has assets? Okay. So the judge has done this in a rare move. He's required that a lien be placed against all the property that the defendant, Joe Alsip Jr., has an interest in that will assure that when liquidation is accomplished, the county can be reimbursed for Alsip's legal defense. Son of a... Okay. Why? Why was D'Angelo allowed to get rid of all of his assets? I... Oh, we've so got to get to the bottom of this. I am going to get to the bottom of this. All right. Let's continue, Jen. Public defender Richard Irwin, who organized the county public defender's office in 1966, said today he has never heard of such a move. Oh, well, look at you, Mr. Judge Gutierrez, sitting over there breaking some ground. Both actions came Monday when Irwin appeared in court on behalf of Sip 33, who was accused of murdering Lyman and Charlene Smith. After listening to comments about Alsip's failure to liquidate the real estate holdings he shares with other businessmen, Gutierrez declared ALSIP's, Alsip indigent and appointed Irwin's office to represent him. Now he was—he didn't—he failed to liquidate the real estate holdings, huh? Now that seems a little premature when he's not convicted yet. I don't know that he should have to liquidate. I like the idea of a lien because then that goes into place if he is convicted. But if he's not convicted, then it seems reasonable that the public defender would defend him. Eh, this is all new stuff to me. We'll see where we go here. Okay, let's see. Alsip, who shared ownership of a development company with Smith at one time, was under investigation by police within weeks of the slayings, but he was not arrested until November 20th, 1981. Charged with two counts of first degree murder, Alsip faces a possible death penalty if convicted. In his fifth court appearance since his arrest, Alsip has yet to be arraigned, pending appointment, of an attorney. Alsip also... So this is just to get an attorney, guys. This isn't even his arraignment yet. He's just back in court now on the 15th just to get this attorney stuff figured out. Alsip told Gutierrez that he has not been able to pay for private defense counsel. Well, Your Honor, as you know, the economy is not too good right now, and being able to liquidate my real estate assets is very difficult, Alsip said. Venture Attorney's James McNally, who was among a handful of attorneys who were approached to represent ALSIP, said that ALSIP might be able to liquidate his holdings eventually. But McNally said ALSIP needs a full time attorney immediately who is prepared to devote considerable time to a case that is particularly involved. I'm just dying to know why it's so involved, but okay, we'll find out. Here we go. There are some 1,900 pages of police reports pertaining to the case, and it has ramifications that go out of the United States, McNally told the judge without elaborating. Well, of course it does. Why, why wouldn't it be complicated? A proper defense would require a full-time investigator willing to spend a year on the case, five or six kinds of experts to testify, and a full-time attorney, McNally said. I don't see where today he, ALSIP, comes within a country mile of retaining a necessary defense team, McNally said, adding that he felt like the defendant qualified for public defender. I'm smiling because he just used another country. This is the Iowa guy, right? And I already had to apologize for just taking out Iowa with that down home approach. But he just said he doesn't come within a country mile of retaining the necessar- a necessary defense team. This is kind of adorable. Alsip commented that he had no problem with the judge's condition of a lien, but he explained that there may be some difficulty since he has only a partial interest in the property sharing ownership with his business partners. The main thing I'm concerned with is that there is not a liquidation and that the county is just not left standing out in the cold, said Gutierrez. Wow, what an advocate judge here. That's, look at him. Irwin said this morning that he would explore with General Counsel Dorothy Schechter, county, Counsel Dorothy Schechter, the procedure of placing a lien against the property. The judge scheduled the arraignment for Monday. Oh, let's see. Do you think there's an arraignment coming on Monday? But first, we're going to have an article on the next day, on December 16th. Lawyer, oh, does this wrap around? No. Lawyer named to represent Smith Killings suspect. Now, they're still doing that hyphenated Smith Killings thing, which is just so weird to me lawyer named to represent Smith Killings' suspect. A 34-year-old attorney on the public def- uh, um on public defender Richard Irwin's staff has been selected to represent Joe Alsip. Uh, Deputy, Pub- Deputy public defender Lawrence Noble, who has been in Irwin's office since September 1980, will work full-time in preparing the defense for Alsip, who faces two charges of first-degree murder. The prosecutor is Deputy District Attorney Pete Gasoris, a senior member of the District Attorney Michael Bradbury's office, who has successfully prosecuted several major murder cases. Since Alsip faces two first-degree murder counts, he could face the death penalty if he's convicted. Let's see. um, Alsip was arrested on November 20th, and he was declared indigent by Municipal Court Judge Art Gutierrez on Monday, and the public defender was ordered to represent him. Although Alsip is a developer and real estate agent who shares ownership of companies which own property in Ventura, he told the court Monday that he's unable to liquidate his assets to get cash to pay for his defense. In an unusual move, Gutierrez ordered that a lien be placed against the property that Alsip has interest in. Tuesday, after talking with Alsip and members of his staff, Irwin chose Noble to handle the case. Noble said Tuesday that the prospect of handling a potential death penalty case is no added burden. Oh, oh, look at Mr. Noble being really slick there. Here's his quote. It doesn't bother me at all. I've been preparing for this all my life, Noble said. The office chose me to do it, and I have no qualms about it at all. There's there's a hero born every day. There's a defense attorney with some swinging you-know-what's there. Uh, It doesn't bother me at all. I've been preparing for this all my life. I wonder if you were being tried for murder, if that would make you feel comfortable about your attorney, or if you would have thought he was like a, I don't know, not the right guy. Let's move on, because I think that at this point, it's been a month, almost a month since Joe Alsip's been arrested. He's been sitting in jail for a month, and he still hasn't been arraigned. Here we go. December 23rd, 1981. Finally, Ventura denies killing Lyman Smith and wife. Joseph Alsip Jr. told a municipal court judge Tuesday that he did not kill prominent Ventura attorney Lyman Smith and his wife Charlene. My plea is not guilty, Your Honor, Alsip said during his arraignment after numerous delays requested primarily by the defense, some 30 days after his arrest on murder charges. Some court observers predict the case won't go to trial until summer or fall. (sighs) Deputy Public Defender Lawrence Noble, appointed to represent Alsip, argued Tuesday that the next major proceeding, Alsip's preliminary hearing, should not be held for six months to give Noble time to prepare his case. We're just beginning to gear into action to meet these very serious charges, Noble said Tuesday. The court is aware of the fact that there is a lot of work for you to do, Judge Art Gutierrez said, but Gutierrez said six months is more time than required and set the preliminary hearing for March 1st. Deputy District Attorney P. Kisoris estimated the hearing would last two days. Alsip is charged with two counts of first-degree murder and could face the death penalty if he's convicted. Sorry, my narrator voice said, Oh, Mr. Kisoris, it was going to be so much longer than two days. Okay, Noble wanted the hearing set for June 7th. June or January, Gutierrez asked, apparently believing he had misunderstood the request. Ha! This must be a defense attorney tactic. Remember when, um... The, the public defender asked to go till next January for uh, D'Angelo. We would like the continuance of a year, Your Honor. And the year's like, the honor, Your Honor was like, wait, what? You want D'Angelo to have another year? Are you kidding me? No, May 14th, which, now yeah, the point is moot. But anyway, I like this. I the, 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 it gets funny that Gutierrez was like, June or January? Kostoris strongly opposed the request. The only thing I think we he and noble agreed on is this year kasore said he argued that in a dozen years of prosecuting felony cases i've seen a number of cases more complex six months to prepare for a trial would be an interesting debate but i can't see or i'm um, six months to prepare for a trial would be an interesting debate but i can't see six months of preparation for a preliminary hearing i don't see why a month or two at the most wouldn't be sufficient kasore said adding that noble cited no specific reason for such a long delay Noble said the police began investigating Alsip shortly after the bodies of Smith and his wife were found in the couple's expensive hillside home. It's taken well over a year to file a complaint against my client, Noble argued. Certainly, he argued, the fence is entitled to six months for preparation. Anything less, he said, would be a gross and utter denial of Mr. Alsip's constitutional rights. Noble has represented Alsip, a developer and real estate agent, since last week when Gutierrez declared him an indigent who required a public defender. Judge Gutierrez made the finding after Alsip said he has been able to unable to liquidate his assets to pay for private counsel. Much of the delay in the arraignment was a result of trying to arrange financing for a private attorney. In declaring Alsip indigent. Guterres required that a lien be placed on all the property he has an interest in, to assure that the county be reimbursed for Alsip's legal defense when liquidation is accomplished. Alsip said in court that there may be some difficulty in obtaining the liens since he has only a partial partial interest in the property. This is like super interesting how um, how things worked forty years ago. I'm turning the page while you're wondering what I'm vamping for. Uh, it is interesting to me that it um, would that the money and, that, and who paid for what was such a thing. I, I actually thought most defendants typically didn't hire attorney unless they really did have the means. I think I thought far more people used the public defender. Okay. So now we're into January 12th and other things are happening. January 12th of 1982. Okay, so I turned the page. Let's turn the calendar ahead a year or just into the next year, which is 1982. Here's the headline. Suits, S-U-I-T-S, like lawsuits, suits shed light on Smith Alsip, victim, suspect players in high stakes games. Well, much remains secret concerning the case against Ventura developer Joseph Alsip, Two suits filed in Los Angeles County and one in Ventura County depict the complicated business arrangements of Smith, a prospective judicial appointee, and ALSIP, a talented dealmaker. The transactions come across as expensive games involving players known as limited and general partners, those who can put up capital and those who spend it. They were complicated and, given the recent economic climate, risky both suits deal with three investments a ventura beach hour beach area renovation project a ventura hillside condominium and a santa Paula mobile home park both demand nearly 1 million in actual losses and several millions dollars in punitive damages for investors who allege they've been cheated the investigators allege that their capital was used for things other than the intended developments ALSIP and numerous associates are defendants in both actions. Smith's estate is a defendant in the Santa Paula mobile home suit. Smith, 43, and his wife Charlene were bludgeoned to death. In November, the district attorney filed two counts of first-degree murder against ALSIP. Investigators perused the business files of the development company in which both men were partners and also looked into their personal lives. ALSIP is a contractor, developer, and real estate agent who has a reputation of having a talent for putting together business transactions. Smith was an up-and-coming attorney. Police were searching for a motive for Smith's slaying. Whether they found one is not known, although associates of both men said they doubt it. Charles Gilliard of Ventura, Alsip and Robert, uh, Als- of Ventura, Alsip, and Robert Placencia of Santa Paula formed GAP. Oh, they're telling you this in this order. It's Charles Gilliard, Joe Alsip and Robert Placencia, because that's how they got the GAP, G-A-P, get it? It's an acronym of their last names. Um, they all f- f- um, founded GAP Development in 1977. They later invited Smith to join them. Oh, yeah. Dad used to always say it was GAP Developments, and he was the S in developments. Whatever. They had already named it. Dad didn't need his name on it, but you know how men are. Oh, now I just took out all men. You know how my dad was. How Let's put it that way. The company split up in late 1979, but the breakup was reportedly an amicable one, spawned in part by disagreements over tax problems with the IRS and over business management. Now, how could they say it was reportedly, an, but the breakup was reportedly an amicable one, but that's not I guess this, the split up was spawned by the disagreements, but it was an amical breakup. Hmm, interesting, because they have these problems with the IRS and the business management. Placencia and Smith went their own ways, forming a development company that was just getting started when Smith was murdered. Among the ventures of the four partners in Gap and the two other men, now we have more people, guys. This just got even more complicated. Carol Courtenier is a man. Carol Courtenier and Edward Skifstrom, SKF Strom was the was the development of 22 acres in Santa Paula into a 130 unit condominium mobile home park. The plan was to sell a lot and mobile home to sell a lot and mobile home to customers. What the heck is a condominium mobile home park? That sounds so pretend. Condominium mobile home park. Condominium must be the way you have to own the property. Um, because I don't know what the heck a condominium mobile home park would be. It was a lot and a mobile home to customers, but that's kind of how it works. I guess sometimes you rent the lot. Maybe you don't own the lot. But um, this says the plan was to sell the lot and the mobile home to customers. According to court documents, the development, Hillview Estates, <laughs> you knew it had to be called the States now, didn't you, was the product fit agreement between Santa Paula retailer Dale Wilson, who gathered the investors, and a company known as MoCon Ventures. I kid you not, M-O-C-O-N, MoCon Ventures. All right, so here we have all these people in this big mess. Courtenay, Gilliard, Alsip, Placencia, Smith, and Skillstrom were shareholders in MoCon, you know, I asked my mom, nobody, nobody knows what the heck happened with all this stuff. The only man that might have known has passed away. I asked my mom, is there documentation anywhere? And she looked at me with this, like, you're kidding me, right? Face, like we're doing FaceTime. because She's down in Santa Cruz. And she's just like, you think I know about any of this stuff that happened? I divorced the man. I don't know any about the, anything about this stuff. And now I feel like Lou Gabrielson, who's the guy who took care of all this stuff for us, I don't know what happened. I don't know if there were ever records of how this stuff ever got um, settled. There was certainly no pot of money that I knew about. None of us heard about it. The only money any any of us three kids got was just the money from life insurance. We didn't get a darn thing. Thank God we had money for life insurance because that's basically what helped us pay for college. But I mean, where was all this money, guys? Mo Okay, so let's go back. These are all these guys, the, the Gap guys including my dad, and then Courtenay and Skifstrom were shareholders in Mocon. The arrangement was conducted like most limited partnerships. Wilson and 10 investors that he gathered, that's the real estate guy, Wilson and the 10 investors that he gathered were limited partners and put up the cash. In this case, some $670,000, which in 1982 terms was a lot of bucks. Among the limited partners was former Santa Paula councilman, cannot make this up, Floyd G. Hare, H-A-I-R, who contributed $130,000. The documents say, why did a Santa Paula city councilman have $130,000 to throw down? Mo Con did much of the legwork, providing plans, drawings, and engineering for the project. The general contractor for the plan was GAP. As part of the agreement, Wilson obtained a $2 million construction loan from Security Pacific National Bank. In limited partnerships, those who put up the money are the first to earn any return. MoCon could start counting its take only after there was a profit, and then it would split those funds with Wilson. The Ventura County suit filed by Wilson and his limited partners last week alleges that some $350,000 from the construction loan was siphoned away for purposes other than the mobile home park. Oh my god. So 350,000 of the 2 million and other and the rest of it 2 million and the 670,000. Okay, so we've got we're out 2.7 million dollars. That's how much is already being thrown around here and 350,000 is missing. The suit demands that the money from MoCon and the money from Wait, the suit demands that money from Mocon and alleges fraud and conspiracy. The suit accuses Security Pacific of allowing improper disbursements of the construction loan. Apparently concerned that Security Pacific will foreclose on the module, mobile home property because of loan payments haven't been made, Wilson is seeking a quarter prohibiting such action. Ooh, if they foreclose, that's, that means everything will be lost. The suit, which was originally filed by Oxnard attorney Stanley Cohen of Cohen, England, Whitfield, and Osborne, also seeks $5 million in punitive damages. Okay, y'all know punitive means pu- just look at the word punitive. That's punishment. In a separate action filed in Los Angeles Superior Court in September, another group of investors alleges that their money was used for purposes other than te- that in- other than that intended or that was the business that they invested in was so shoddily conducted that their investment is threatened. This suit was filed by Los Angeles attorney Peter Stoll on behalf of 21 individuals or couples, several of whom live in Ventura County, and it says they put up investments ranging from $10,000 to $40,000 each and two deals. Not all of the investors are plaintiffs in the suit. The defendants are Alsip, Gilliard, and Skifstrom, who are identified as general partners in the projects, and the three men's wives. Well, because of course. One project involved renovation of some beachfront property at 1125 and 1127 Seward Avenue. The suit says the limited partnership agreement for the beachfront project was prepared in 1979, but was not recorded by the general partners until February 1981. The deed for the property had not been filed by the time the action was brought in September. Stoll that Stoll is the attorney, that's for the people in Los Angeles, those, all those investors, alleges that the investors' funds were invested elsewhere during the lag time. The other part of the suit involves investments in a condominium project. The investors allege that the development has been handled in such shoddy fashion that their investment is threatened and they want their money back. In actions relating to both the hillside and beach fund properties, Stoll is seeking several hundred thousand dollars in actual damages and one million in punitive damages. Okay, for those of you playing the home game, has anybody been adding all this up? Because this is so much money, and I just don't know where all the money went. And I remember Bob Placencia a lot. He was a big guy, big happy guy, super kind, super friendly, but I have no idea what kind of businessman he was because, you know, kid. So I I really don't remember. But um, it's pretty amazing to me that all this was going on and that And that, I don't know what happened to all of it. Like, we don't have an accounting of it. So, huh, there you go. Live and learn. This is the craziness that's going on. Okay, so now there's a little pivot that's happening here. Um, And I'm I'm sorry, I'm just looking to see what's the easiest way to get into this because I'm going to go through this this next article. It kind of sets up the where we're headed with this prelim. So that's all just intrigue and more nonsense and more complexity and everything. But meanwhile, Joe's in jail and now it's January 20th. So I don't know when the prelims going to happen because that Kate, that date didn't get set yet. Um, but And I don't know when they're going to set it, but I guess we'll find out. But let me get into this one article because it's a um, nice foreshadowing of where we're headed. Here we go. It's January 20th now, which is Often the day the State of the Union happens or really close to that. So in nineteen eighty two, that was not an election year. We had Ronald Reagan as president. And for all you youngsters who don't know he who he was, yeah, his wife believed in psychics. That was kind of cool. Okay, so Ventura Minister may hold the key to Smith killings. Oh, intrigue. Let me say that again. Ventura minister may hold the key to Smith killings. And there is a photograph of a man who is Reverend? the Reverend Donald Michael, and there is Joseph Alsip, and in the photograph, Michael is on the left, and Alsip is on the right, and the caption says, I have to assume he is a witness for the prosecution, says defense attorney Richard Hannawalt of the Reverend Donald Michael, who told the police about something he learned while talking with Joseph Alsip Bright, accused of murdering Lyman and Charlene Smith. Ooh, new names, new everything. Here we go. And once again, Greg Zaroya. a minister at one of Ventura's largest churches may be a key prosecution witness, key prosecution witness in the case against Joe Alsip Jr., who is charged with the 1980 bludgeoning slayings of Lyman and Charlene Smith. It's been more than a year since the Reverend Donald Michael, a soft-spoken man whose specialty is ministering to troubled husbands and wives heard that he have made, heard what may have been an admission from ALSIP according to Ventura attorney, Richard Hanawalt who represents ALSIP and talked about the case in an interview this week. Did we even learn when Hannawalt joined this party? Cause by the way, this Hannawalt guy is hella colorful and this is a private attorney, so maybe we're going to find out how Walt got in here, but this is happening on January 20th, and I'm not seeing that I have an article in here that I can find about when Hanawalt got involved, but that's okay. We'll catch up on that part. While well, providing no deal to details of the alleged admission, Hanawalt dismissed it only as a silly figment of Michael's imagination. Reverend Michael's connection with the case has been verified by a handful of past and current ministers of the Ventura Missionary Church, where Michael, 58, is an associate pastor in charge of family and marriage counseling. Very few people in the church are probably aware of the pressure that Don Michael has been under, said the Reverend Leonard, Leonard DeWitt, who headed the Ventura Missionary Church until August when he became president of the Missionary Church Association and moved to Indiana. We wanted to keep a low profile and not draw any attention to Don himself because of the pressure has because the pressure has been enormous, said DeWitt. When told of Hannawalt's comments regarding Michael and his criticism of Michael's value as a witness, Deputy District Attorney Pete Cosoris said little. The only comment I would make is that we furnished Mr. Hannawalt with the police reports and statements by witnesses, so he has a substantial amount of information, said Kissoris, who is prosecuting Alsip. But I wouldn't want any comment, I wouldn't want to make any comment about his assessment of the case that the prosecution has. The prospect of a minister providing police with information obtained during a counseling session raises the issue of ethical uh, issue of e- ethical and legal confidentiality. According to DeWitt, Alsip signed a waiver allowing police to talk to Michael. Hannawell acknowledged such a waiver exists but declined to talk about it. Michael has refused to discuss details of his involvement with the case. I just made a commitment to myself that I will not discuss any of the details, said the minister. If I will testify, it obviously would become public information. When pressed about confirming or denying his involvement in the case, Michael said, I have no denial. At the close of an interview, with this, at the close of an interview this week, Michael was asked if an issue in the case might be whether Michael understood ALSEP's commitments during the meeting between the two in 1980. Michael said simply, very likely. Oh my God, I so screwed up that paragraph. Hang on a second. At the close of an interview with this week, Michael was asked if an if an issue in the case might be whether Michael misunderstood Alsip's comments during the meeting between the two in nineteen eighty. Michael said simply, very likely. Married and the father of four adult children, Michael has lived in Ventura since he came to the missionary church five years ago. Don is a very quiet, internal private person, said former associates S.R. Burke McDill, professional family therapist with offices in Oxnard. I never knew him to disclose to others what was going on within him, McDill said. If Michael is to testify, his first appearance may be March 1st when a preliminary hearing is scheduled for ALSIP. Okay, so we do have a date. It's March 1st. This is on January 20th right now. The hearing could be the first courtroom revelation of the prosecution's case against ALSIP, who is charged with two counts of first-degree murder and faces a possible death penalty. Smith was killed, the home was listed okay, the home this is what's it's so incredible to me. The home, my dad and Charlene's house up on Hill on up on Clearpoint in Clearpoint. The home is less than 100 yards up the street from the Ventura Missionary Church, which has a membership of about 1,500. I might have mentioned this church to you before. It was kind of at the beginning of where these big Christian churches were starting. It started like in the late 70s, early 80s, and so now we're into 1982, so the church had gained some momentum. Police focused their attention on several suspects during the weeks after the killing, and Alcips, who shared ownership of the development firm with the Smiths at one time, was among those suspects. Hannah Walt, again, this is Alcips' attorney. Hannah Walt believes that Michael's statements, to which he gives little credence, spurred a stalled police investigation into higher gear. Don Michael, I have to assume, is a witness for the prosecution," said Hannah Walt. "I think it's his statements that cause the investigation to unlag." unlag and get back into drive again. Unlag is a weird word. Hannawalt, who took Alsip's case earlier this month, admitted during an interview this week that he has not yet read the voluminous police files pertaining to the criminal investigation. But he has talked to private investigator Ru- Whitmeier, Russ Whitmire of Ventura, who has worked for Alsip since nineteen eighty, and a forensic specialist recently retained by the family, Richard Fox of Ventura. Retained by the Alsip family. Um, I believe I have a story about Mr. Whitmire that I can tell later. Anyway, to put it bluntly, I don't view Michael as being any, I view him as being insignificant insignif- because of any police officer who has been breaking his neck on a murder investigation. Hang on a second. Okay, Hannawell is not known for having the best quotes. He's a, um, let me see if I can get this quote, because it's really butchered. This is Hannawell talking, to put it bluntly, I don't view Michael as being any, I view him as being significant because any police officer who has been breaking his neck on a murder investigation is going to have an extremely sensitive radar scope, said Hanawalt. But beyond that, I see so many other things that cause all the defense investigators to say this guy, Michael, he isn't sure what he heard from ALSIP. The prosecution apparently did not did some of its own checking into Michael's credibility. McDill, Michael's former associate, said he was contacted by district attorney investigator Richard Haas two or three months ago and questioned about what kind of counselor Michael is and Michael's credibility and trustworthiness. Now, that was the Dick Haas worked for the prosecution or for the district attorney's office. So just, no, you know, that's the prosecution. In particular, McDill, that's Michael's former associate, was asked why Michael might hesitate for a time before telling authorities about some crucial information. Don was somewhat involved in the whole case, but in what capacity I never knew, said McDill. McDill refused to share what he told Haas. But he did say that he and Michael had some philosophical and counseling judgment disagreements. He also maintained that any therapist who receives criminal information in a counseling session is required by law to report it immediately to police. McDill, Michael, and DeWitt were the three who conceived the Ventura Missionary Church's family counseling program in 1977. McDill said he ran the professional counseling portion of the program with four interns on staff and Michael was in charge of pastoral counseling. Because of his ordained ministry, he, Michael, can do any kind of counseling he wants, said McDill, who pulled out of the church operation in 1980 to give more attention to his private practice. He, Michael, was seen by clients to be a very good was seen by his clients to be a very good pastoral counselor," said MacDill. They all valued what he stood for and said, "Okay, so we're going to stop there. But that's the foreshadowing. This guy Michael's going to be an important character in this story. Um, interestingly enough, I also happen to have cut out an um. Letter to the editor, because that was a big deal back then. You just didn't get on Twitter and flap your jaw or you know cut people down. You had to put your name on the letter. You read wrote a letter to the editor of the paper. You had to be willing to sign it. So this was signed by Mike Merriweather of Ventura, and it's called objects to story. Editor of the Star Free Press, I was very disappointed in your decision to feature Ventura Minister Mayhold's key to Smith Killing as a front-page story on January 20th. This article consisted mostly in speculation, and while I understand your wish to sell newspapers, I found it highly objectionable that your writer so blatantly disregarded Don Michaels' wish not to have unnecessary attention drawn to him, considering the enormous pressure he was feeling about the case." ironically the article actually seemed to put pastor michael on trial i know pastor michael well and can testify to his kind fair and gentle nature and excellent moral character i regret your decision to print this article and your insensitivity to the reputation and feelings of a nice person that's such a window into civility of 1982 and mind you we weren't really that civil. but um that's a that's a very very nice letter to the editor that came out after that big article was written. Okay, I don't know when we got to Walt, but I'm going to figure that part out, and then we'll be back. I'll be back. Well, we. I'll be back to tell you what's happening next as we move forward in the preliminary hearing of Joseph Alsip. Down the road. Tell me how long you gonna stay here, Joe Some people say This town don't look good in snow